coming up next on Contemplate. Christianity didn't spread because nobody checked it out. And they just like, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Let's do that. I hear that the, the Romans are killing people who do this. That sounds good to me. That's not what happened. They joined because they checked it out. Because they checked it out and found out it was true. Welcome to Contemplate, a Bible teaching ministry of Pastor David Robinson and brought to you by Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. As we begin today, Pastor David is telling us a story that illustrates the death and resurrection of Jesus. Please get out your Bible, turn to Acts 2, verse 25, as we join Pastor David with today's episode recorded live at Acts Church. Now, there's a story uh, that C.S. Lewis wrote. It's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in that story, there are four children. One of them's name is Edmund. And Edmund betrays his brothers and sisters and goes to the White Witch and basically sells them out. And then they end up rescuing him from her. And she comes, and Aslan the Lion, who who represents Christ in the story. Aslan the lion has Edmund, and this white witch comes and says, Hey, people who betray other people, they belong to me. I get him. And Aslan says, I will give my life for his. You can take me and kill me, and you can and I can keep and he can stay away from you. She says, Okay. So she goes and she kills Aslan. And after she kills Aslan, he rises again from the dead. And this is what he says. They ask him, what happened? What's, what's going on with this? And he says this. He says, it means that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. Now this is a beautiful allegorical look at the death and resurrection of Christ. The grave could never have held him. He was innocent and he was God. And so he's saying, so, so Peter here is saying that there's just nothing that could keep him in the grave. It's not possible. It's not possible because while Satan thought he had a victory, Jesus knew that because of his perfection and because he was God, there was no way he was ever going to be dead. He was always going to raise up. So that's an important thing to think about. The reason we're saved is because he was perfect. Because death couldn't hold him, and we get to attach ourselves to him, death can't hold us. Let's look at verse 25, and we'll go through verse 31 here. Uh, For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence." 
And Peter says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Okay. Peter's piling on now. He's in another piece of scripture that these devout men would have known about, where David makes a prophecy. And he's saying, this prophecy can't be about David when it's talking about resurrection, because David's dead. He's buried right over there. We all know where he is. We know where his grave is. He's with us to this day. So he cannot be the one prophesied about here. In fact, he had to have been prophesied about somebody else, his seed, the son of David, who became Jesus, the son of God, who was resurrected. So he's making this point. For these guys, you have to understand the power of a point like this. They were very familiar with the scripture. They were very familiar with these uh, prophecies about the Christ. So when he says this, it may not sound like much to us because we're not as familiar with the scripture as we probably should be. But to them, this was a big point. Now, Peter hits him with the money phrase in verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Okay. So now, he's made all these points. And then he says, and me and all these people here who you see the power of the Holy Spirit on, and you know that that's true, we all witness Jesus alive again. Now, they may have heard from this one or that one. They may have heard second or third hand before about the resurrection. When you hear something second or third hand, especially something like that somebody rose from the dead, you may or may not believe it. Peter is now bringing his point home. He says, I saw it. These guys saw it. We're witnesses of the resurrection. We're witnesses. Verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter's saying, David did not ascend to the right hand. He's dead in here. So who was he talking about? Jesus must have ascended to heaven. Jesus must have ascended to heaven. He was exalted to heaven. He received the promise of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he poured out the Holy Spirit on us, and that's what you're seeing happen. Okay? So now he's bringing it back. Remember, he starts with, these guys aren't drunk. Then he starts quoting Joel. This is this thing that you see. Then he goes through Christ's death and resurrection, then he brings it back. How did they get the Spirit? Because Jesus died, rose again, was exalted to be with God, and had the promise of the Holy Spirit and sent it to them. That's why you're seeing what you're seeing. It was the Messiah. It was Jesus. And he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Mic drop. He's done. He's shown them all of this evidence. Who Jesus was, that they witnessed it, 
the resurrection. He's got proof in front of them, literally chatting right there by him, of the Holy Spirit being poured out. He ties it all together with evidence that Jesus was the Messiah and is the Lord, and that they killed him. Why was this argument so powerful? Because they were there. They were there. This was not... See, if, if we put on the trial now, I have to bring things like this book to you, this Bible, and tell you what we know historically or bring some artifacts in. I can bring some proof of people who have been healed of diseases that no one can explain. I can, I can talk about the power of Christ in my life. I can talk about those kinds of things. And look, it's powerful evidence. Don't get me wrong. But make no mistake about the rise of Christianity. It did not rise based on that kind of evidence. It rose to prominence based on the fact that the people who believed it first were there to see it or had firsthand witnesses of what had happened. That's why they were willing to live and die for it. See, Peter knew whether Jesus really rose from the dead. He knew. He knew that when he stood up and started boldly speaking, that there were people who were not going to like it. How did he know? Because they just killed Jesus. Not tough to figure out that it's not a popular party to be a part of. He knew it. Now, why is he all of a sudden willing to die? He's willing to die because he saw it. They believed what they saw, what they knew to be true. We believe based on their testimony. And the power of their testimony, and that many of them gave their lives for it. So, that's why they believed it. They had seen it. They attested to it by first-hand witnesses. That's why the, the church grew like crazy. So in verse 37, they say this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? These guys knew. Now they knew Jesus had been sent from God because they knew about the miracles. They had seen it before. They probably knew it before, but they were suppressing that. Now they knew. Their hearts were opened up to it. They knew they had crucified him. They knew Jesus had risen from the dead. And all of this was proven through these prophecies and scripture that Peter brought up and the signs of the Holy Spirit that they were seeing happen in front of them. And they knew they had put him to death, and they cry out, What shall we do? Just try to imagine the horror that would come over you if you all of a sudden became convinced that you had killed the Messiah. Justice should be done to you. You're going to say the same thing. If you understood your own sin, if you understood the wickedness of your heart, the times that you've rejected Jesus, the times that he's offered himself to you and you've pushed him away, if you truly understood that, you would know what the just thing was that should happen to you. And you would say, what shall I do? I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. See, these guys, these folks that are standing there, they had the Bible. They had read the Bible. They had the Old Testament. And when they read the Old Testament about all these prophets that had come 
and preached the right thing and had been killed by their ancestors. When they read this story, they put themselves in the place of the prophet, the good guy, like we always do when we read a story. But they were the bad guy. They had killed Jesus, the Son of God. And we read this story, and we put ourselves in the place of Peter, because he's the good guy. That's how we read the Bible. We put ourselves in the place of the good guy. I mean, we're in church, right? We came this morning. We're the good guy. Let me just help you out. We are not the good guy. We are these people who are being preached to. We are the ones who, through our sin, made the cross necessary. That's who we are. We are the ones who should be crying out, what shall I do? That's who we are in this story. Don't get it backwards. You start reading the Bible wrong, you start getting it backwards, you're going to start having some funky ideas. We're not Peter. We're the ones who are lost. Now, that may not be true anymore, but that's certainly who we were and who some of us still are. Let's read verse 38 and 39. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children and to all who are afar off, as many as our Lord God will call. It says, Repent. Turn away. Turn away from the sin. Turn away from your rejection of Christ. Turn away from the way you're living your self-righteousness, thinking you have the answers, wanting to be in control. Turn away from that. Jesus wants to take your sins away, even your sin of killing him. Even though you were the ones who put him to death, this is how much he loves you. He wants to take that away. And we go from hopelessness to beyond imagination in that not only will I forgive your sins, says God, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. So you've gone from being lost to being forgiven and empowered with the Holy Spirit. That's the plan that he had for even those who had literally taken part. Probably a lot of them had been the ones saying, crucify him. And he wanted to forgive them. Just to be clear, none of these people who understood what was going on here, none of these people who understood what Peter was saying, who understood their sin, were sitting there thinking, I would, you know, following Christ is maybe, maybe that's something I can do. I really don't really want to have to give up X, whatever, this thing in my life. No one was thinking that. This was, I can't breathe, I need breath. I'm dead, I need life. These, these men were desperate, desperate, because they knew the state they were in. They understood their wickedness. There was no nonsense about, is this going to fit into my schedule? Is Christianity something that I can do? Yeah, I guess I got an hour and a half on Sunday. That's not where these guys were at. That's not where these folks were at. They were desperate. That's why they cried out, what shall we do? When we really understand our sin, we don't start thinking about Christianity in some kind of um, way like it's joining a club or getting a magazine subscription. It's life as opposed to death. It's recognizing that we are dead because of our sins and we can be alive in him. If you haven't recognized your sin and you're sitting in this room, if you haven't believed in the name of Jesus Christ, believed that God raised him from the dead, 
There's a reason why you're here today. Because God has called those who are far off. Are you far off? See, I don't know your heart. I can't judge it. I'm told specifically not to judge it. But you know it. You know your heart. When Peter is saying to them through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is still saying to us, you did not come here by accident. God is calling you. That feeling in your chest, a little bit of tightening, kind of that warm feeling that some of you may be getting right now, that is the Holy Spirit cutting you to the heart. Do not walk away knowing that what is being said is true and rejecting it. It's one thing to have been the ones to have been responsible for the death of Christ. But when the truth came through the Holy Spirit, they turned. Let's read the next verse. It says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Is this a perverse generation that we're in now? Then be saved. That's what he's saying. Be saved from this perverse generation. They've, they're twisted. They're crooked. They've gotten it wrong. Be saved out of that. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Gladly received his word. You think? You think? These guys knew they were guilty of killing God. I'd say they received his word pretty gladly. I said, that's an understatement. It's an understatement. These guys grabbed hold of it desperately, like air. And 3,000 people were saved. Now, here's the deal. How do I know the Acts is about facts, which we've said many times? Because things like this don't happen without people noticing them. You don't have a bunch of people speaking in tongues. You don't have 3,000 people in one day joining a movement without people knowing about it. This book was written well within a time when anybody who wanted to could have checked out whether these things were true. And believe me, they did. Christianity didn't spread because nobody checked it out. And they just like, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Let's do that. I hear that the, the Romans are killing people who do this. That sounds good to me. That's not what happened. They joined because they checked it out. Because they checked it out and found out it was true. That's how I know the Acts is about facts. And what drives 3,000 people who just 50 days earlier had killed a man to now follow him as God? What causes that? Power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to pray in a second. Um, and I'm going to ask the elders who are here for this service to come up and stand on the sides. If you are far off, if you are saying to yourself, if your heart is crying out, what shall I do this morning? If you're convinced of the truth of the gospel and you want to be saved, have the courage to come up and talk to one of the elders and do it. Don't wait. Don't reject Christ. Don't reject him. He's giving you this chance. He's calling you here. He's after you. He's after you. He's cutting you to the heart. Come to him. Let's pray. 
Father, I just pray, and I just want to just lift your name up, Lord. Thank you for giving us a word that is so true and so provably true that I can rest in it, that you don't just satisfy my heart, but you satisfy my mind. That my soul longs for you because I was the one who made the cross necessary. But you saved me. God, I thank you so much for that, that you saved me when I didn't deserve it, that you've given me the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit that I sure didn't deserve, that you've lifted me up, that you've made me to trust you, to know you. I pray that whatever you're doing in this room with whoever is here that you are calling this morning, that they would not ignore your voice. You will not contend with man forever, Lord. But I pray that you would continue to call, continue to cut to the heart those who are here, those who will be here the next service, that we might see people come to you and know you. We thank you for how great and awesome and mighty you are. We thank you for dying and rising again and defeating death that we can rise again. You've been listening to Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church, and this is Contemplate. So how about you? Have you realized through the teaching today that it's all true and you need Jesus in your life? You know, there's nothing to buy, nothing to join. Just ask Jesus to save you wherever you are right now. Ask him to forgive your sins and be the Lord of your life, and he will. And then come see us this Sunday morning at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to help you get started living for Jesus. Get directions and all the info you need at axechurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll check out the next episode for more practical and helpful Bible teaching with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.